Is Todd? Yeah, there's Todd. Hey, Todd, you've got sandals on. That's what Jesus wore. <laughs> uh, yesterday was a great day, wasn't it? For those of you who could be there, for those of you who helped uh, construct this event, it's been going in the making for months. Um, I remember when Paul Marvel sort of mentioned it to me as this vision of his, and man, did it, did it come to fruition. It was just very powerful to see and to fellowship with you guys, with, with new people, people that we've never met before, maybe some people who go to the school but don't come to church or don't have a home church. It was powerful. The dunking booth, kids laughing and, and having fun and, and cotton candy. How, how can you go wrong with, with cotton candy, right? It's just pure sugar. <laughs> and, and Charles, you've got a laugh that I can hear from like one side of the, the parking lot to the other. You know, it was really cool. It was really cool to see that. And this is great timing because we've been talking about a sermon series called Being the Church. And that's what happened yesterday. We were being the church. We didn't need this building. We didn't need the, the structure. We were the church. Unfortunately, when we talk about church or use the word church in society today, sometimes there's a negative connotation to it, isn't there? People sometimes make the mistake of thinking of a building with a steeple or a cross or stained glass windows and, and pews and, and all these things, but Scripture tells us something totally different, doesn't it? Jesus taught us that we are the church, you and I. And if you're an immersed believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. You are the temple of God. Much more beautiful and important than a, than a structure built by man. Built by man. I love this sermon series because it is an excellent reminder that no matter where I am or what I'm doing or who I'm with... I should always be an ambassador for Christ. An ambassador for Christ. That means Justin Lewis must always be the church. My family must always be the church at home. And like the church, when we think of the word home right? We shouldn't think of a house or a building, even though I'm sure you guys have homes to go to, actual structures, and we, we love them, and we like them, and we want to take care of them, but that is nothing compared to God's design of the home, meaning the family unit. That is home, and that home, I'm going to challenge you today, needs to look and act like the church, in all you do. The scripture we're going to be looking at this morning is Ephesians 5, 22 through 6, verse 9. And we're, we're not quite ready to go into it yet, but I, if you do have your Bibles or maybe your Bible app, go ahead and, and turn to that, maybe mark it and, and hold it, because we're going we're gonna to delve into it. But, but before uh, we do this, Hunter is going to throw some pictures 
on the screen. We're going to play a little bit of trivia, I thought, this morning, sort of an icebreaker. So, Hunter, if you could go ahead and throw the first picture on the screen. I want you to tell me who that person is. Maybe you don't know, maybe you do. Tim Tebow. Okay, some of you probably recognize him with a football helmet on, but he's a baseball player now, I think. Maybe he got cut. I'm not sure. I haven't followed up lately. Let's throw the next person up. Anybody know who that person is? This is a tough one. Ben Carson. Anybody know who Ben Carson is? He's, he's a member of the Trump administration. I, I think he's in charge of housing, urban housing. Okay, the next picture. This is another tough one. Tony Dungy. Thanks, Larry. I told him yesterday, you may have to help. <laughs> what about the next one? Yeah, and Glenn, he don't, probably doesn't like Tony. <laughs> he's not, I don't know. Anybody know this family? You got to watch the Home Network. The Gaines family. Okay, the next one. Okay, this is my favorite, <laughs> for obvious reasons. Anybody know these guys? Yeah, that's the Lewis family, yeah. There's Connor, and yeah. <laughs> the Robertsons, right? And, and, and hold that slide. Do you know that the guy on the far right and the guy on the far left are elders at a little church of Christ in Louisiana? I just wanted to make note of that. Okay, next slide. Who are these, these people? Kirk and Chelsea Cameron, okay, they're, they're in a lot of movies. Uh, Kirk used to be a, a, a teenage heartthrob when he was young, right? All the, all the young girls liked him because obviously he seems to be a good-looking guy there. Is that, is that the last picture, Hunter? I think that might be. So what do all these people have in common? They believe in Christ. Their identity is founded in Christ, and, and I, wanna, I want you to be honest this morning. When you saw Tim Tebow, did you immediately think of a baseball player? Or did you think of a man who loves Jesus who happens to play baseball? Yeah, did, when you saw Ben Carson, and those of you who know who Ben Carson is, I love Ben Carson. I think he's just an amazing person. And, uh, and during the president, he ran for president against Trump uh, years ago. And when he, they asked him what was his focus in life, he said Jesus was his focus in life. And his family is, are obedient to their church. It's an amazing thing. So do you see Ben Carson or do you see a football coach in Tony Dungy? Or when you see the Robertsons, do you see a bunch of rednecks from the South who make duck calls? Or do you see a family that puts Christ first? I found that to be very interesting. None of these people are perfect, right? They're flawed just like you and me, but they are intentional about their faith. So I want to ask you a hard question this morning. And I've been asking myself and Jamie and my sons uh, this question. When people see us, when people see you and your family, if they witness you at work or if they witness you in your home life, do they see the church? That's a hard question. But we need to be asking ourselves that question every morning when we wake up. Am I prepared? Is my family prepared to be an ambassador for Christ? Like Tim Tebow. You know, Tim Tebow was in a minor league baseball game, and a man, he, he was coming in after the third out was made, and he was jogging in, and he witnessed a man having a seizure 
in the crowd, and he threw his glove down and hopped over the wall and started praying for this man, holding his hand as he went. He didn't, he, he didn't know what to do. He wasn't a doctor, but he was a Christian. Not a lot of people will do that these days, but he did. He stopped being a baseball player and put Jesus first, put that other person first. So, ask yourself that question. Do they see your home as an identity founded in Christ? When people see your home, do they witness something that they're missing, that they don't have? This joy, this peace... This harmony, this love, are you, are you maybe lacking some of that? Do people see that? That's our job. We're commanded to do that. To be intentional at anything requires an, a deliberate action. And we have to be intentional and practice at being the church at home. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. You know, the King James Version uses the word peculiar there. A peculiar people. So I, I must be doing really good because a lot of people come up to me and say, man, you sure are a peculiar fellow. And, and, you know, so I'm thinking maybe I've got, got it where, I don't know, maybe that's the wrong Greek version. I'll have to look that up. But if we want to be the church at home, I believe our families should be working together to show a broken world the redemptive model and framework of the church and paint the picture of salvation. That's our job as a family. Did you ever think of that? Did you ever think as a husband and wife and kids or maybe other family members that live with you, did you ever think that that's the job of your home? That's your number one priority? I heard someone tell me once that you're, you're, you're Jamie and Justin, your number one job in life, your number one ministry in life is to lead those four boys to Christ. That's your number one job in life. That's your number one witness. That's your number one point of evangelism. And then you're supposed to disciple them and raise them up. We're going to get to that later. I don't want to jump the gun. But that's our job. Many of you know my mom, Sharon Lewis. She passed away on July 20th. And uh, some of you knew her personally. Some of you met her uh, many of you I know were praying for her, and, and our family really appreciates that. My mom was a born-again uh, follower of Jesus Christ. She, she accepted Christ when I was 19 years old. I want you to think about that for a second. Dysfunctional home, divorce, there was some, there was some alcoholism from other parts. It was, it was not, I did not come from a two-parent home, okay? I just want to be very clear. I, I don't want to make it sound like I come from this great you know, but it was great. We loved one another, and, and I loved my mom, and she loved my sister and I, and our family's really close, and, uh, but, but she loved this church, loved it. You know, when she would visit from Kentucky, uh, anytime she came uh, to visit us in Wyoming, she would visit this church, 
And she used to always talk about this church when, when I would talk to my mom on the phone. And she would ask how Larry was doing and how other people were doing and how the elders were doing and, and how the missions team was doing. And she loved the church. And this last uh, trip to Wyoming, about a month before she passed away, she got to visit uh, us and the grandkids one last time. And we were sitting on my deck. My mom was a smoker, okay, and she would go out on the deck and she would she would look at the mountains, and she would, she would pray, and, and I went out there, and, and I was sitting with her, and she says, Justin, God has given me this overwhelming desire to come talk at, at your church, but I can't. I'm physically unable to, and so she says, so I don't know how God's going to get this message out, but maybe I'll write it. Maybe I'll email Larry. Maybe I'll, I don't know yet. I don't know how I'm good. Well, she never got around to doing it. But guess what? She told me, okay? And now I'm starting to see how God's going to use her message to tell you it's a miraculous thing. The first thing she told me why she loved Paradise Valley Christian Church is because we were always being the church. We were a family church. No matter what we were doing, uh, you know, members of our church would come visit at our home while my mom was there, and she witnessed the church. Some of you in this room, you know, visited with my mom and she got to witness you being the church. But then she got specific. She said, Justin, the, the wives at your church, they truly love their husbands and they submit and they respect their husbands. And she actually mentioned specific wives by name. It was really powerful. She was very specific. And she said, Justin, she said, there are fathers that I've gotten to know in this church who truly love their wives and would give up anything for them. Nothing's going to get in the way of their family. And she goes, it was a powerful thing for her to witness this. And then finally, the last thing she said that was very powerful to me is she says, no matter what happens, no matter where you are, if there's a need, PV is there for you. Someone from PV is going to be there for you. And you know, my mom witnessed this once. Um, our hot water heater went out at our house once while my mom was there. And we had no water, no hot water. And, and I remember Brian DeVault just stopping what he was doing and zipped out to our house. He knew my mom was there. He knew we had company. And bam, he fixed it. That's being the church. That's loving one another, submitting to one another. And I just wanted to share that with you because I believe everything my mom said. Jamie and I have raised our four boys, Connor, Kyler, Coulter, and Cody, at this church for the past 20 years. I know it doesn't seem that long, but isn't that crazy? Some of our strongest relationships and friendships are right here in this church. And I want to share with you this morning, we would not be where we are today without Jesus and Paradise Valley Christian Church. Our kids, my son probably would not be going to Bible college if it weren't for this church. You helped raise our kids. And I can, I can name specific families who were super intentional about it. This is what God desires. He wants individuals, homes, families, and relationships to be the church. He wants marriages to be one flesh. He wants the home to have joy and peace and harmony. 
That's what he desires for the church, and that's what he desires for your home. More than ever, the world needs families that identify with Jesus Christ. More than ever. It's not very hard to find homes and people who are hurting. There might be people right now hurting in this room. The two-parent home is endangered. It's an endangered species. The Pew Research poll conducted in 2014 showed that in the 1940s and 50s, 80% of children were raised in a two-parent home. 80%. By the 60s, it went down to 71%. By the 80s, it was down to 61%. And in 2013, 46% of children that you see are raised in a two-parent home. And here's another catch. Only 34% of children are raised in a two-parent home from their actual parents. As you can see, we're heading in the wrong direction. Relationships are all about me, myself, and I, and what can I get out of it? And we're starting to get labeled the selfie generation. Have you heard that term? The selfie generation. It's all about me. Look at how many pictures I have of me. <laughs> it's sort of funny, <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> Fathers are absent. Mothers are, are lonely. Children lack direction. They go unloved. We see kids acting out because of this. There's a war on the Christian dad. There's a war on masculinity in the home. Do you notice that? Women are being told, career first, embrace your independence, put your wants and your needs first. There's no doubt we're under a relentless attack by Satan but here's the good news, and this is what I want to talk about. I don't want to sound grim and hopeless today, right? There's good news. Jesus Christ offers us the ingredients and the framework to being the church at home. He offers it to us. It's a gift. He's saying, man, if you do this, you're going to have peace and joy. Your home is going to be happier you're going to have more financial stability. All these benefits, these rewards, confidence and trust and love. That's what's going to happen. So I want to look at the scripture. Turn to Ephesians 5 verse 22. Paul starts with wives. And it says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Throughout scripture, Jesus is always comparing the church to the bride in a wedding. Have you noticed that? This church, we are the bride in the marriage. Okay. It's, it's a beautiful picture. Here, Paul tells us the role of the wife or the bride in the marriage covenant is to be like that of the church. What a beautiful thing. And just like the church submits to Jesus, so too the wife should submit to her husband. Revelation 19.7 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride... The church has made herself 
ready. Do you see the parallel there? The submission that Paul is, is referring to here is a voluntary act. A voluntary act where the wife submits to the husband, gives herself up to the husband and gives him that headship. Gives him that responsibility, that role in the family, family unit. It's an important role because it involves her being supportive and respecting and caring and loving. Men need that a lot. We're pretty weak. <laughs> We're pretty flawed individuals. We need that. Think about when you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. At that moment, whether you knew it or not, you put yourself under the authority of Jesus. Just like the bride. The church. So most importantly, I want you to remember this. When the wife chooses to be subject to her husband, when she chooses to do that, not by force, she is doing this because she loves Jesus. She loves God. She wants to obey Him. A friend once told me that if you want to marry the right woman, find a woman who loves Jesus more than she'll ever love you. In other words, you're the second man in her life, <laughs> right? You're the second man in her life. I'm speaking to men here. Billy Graham, in describing his wife Ruth, said that they were a constant team. And without her encouragement, respect, and support, my ministry would have failed. My ministry would have failed. She once told Billy, I will always have your back. I will always have your back. I will rear the children while you preach the word of God to a broken world. Billy was asked, where do you go to for counsel and advice? And he said, that's easy. I go to Ruth, my wife. My wife is always in God's word. Her life, and this is Billy Graham, quote, her life is ruled by the Lord and the Bible more than any person I've ever known. That's powerful. And you know what? Billy Graham passed away not too long ago, and you look at their marriage, and man, it was just what he described. Very powerful. Being a wife who submits to her husband does not mean being a doormat or silent, sitting on the sidelines. It's completely opposite. By design, the husband and the wife are to be one flesh working together to bring harmony to the home. Then Paul goes on to speak to husbands. Husbands, love your wives... Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. Husbands are called to love their wives unconditionally. This kind of love that Paul is describing is a, is a love that means you're going to give everything up for her. Everything. And you know, that's hard for men to do. I'm here to tell you. I'm living proof. It is hard sometimes to give everything, old habits, 
old relationships, things like that, things that get in the way, hobbies, things that sometimes take up your time. Maybe your career. It was many years ago, I think I told Larry this, probably it's been 15 years ago, um, I got offered a job to move to Denver, and it probably would have paid more money and all this stuff, but and I'm not saying Denver's a horrible place or anything, but I knew the way my family functioned, it was going to cause stress in my life. It was going to cause stress in Jamie's life. And my sons, who were very young at the time, and some still are, it would have been really difficult for them, that change. And so I said, i got to decline. Sometimes the husband has to give stuff up. Because the family has to take priority. The wife has to take priority. It's, it's really funny. I don't know if you've ever seen the, the Clint Eastwood movie, Unforgiven. It's an old western. And, and, and he was a bad guy at one time in his life. And, and the whole, his, he, he was a widower. And, and the, through the whole movie, he kept saying, no, I don't do that anymore. I gave it up because my wife didn't like it. I don't do this anymore. I gave it. And, and it's funny because he still wasn't really a good guy. But... <laughs> But he was trying. <laughs> I think he was trying. It's Clint Eastwood, right? <laughs> Second, the husband should be focused on ensuring the wife's well-being. Well-being. This means comfort and happiness and security and safety and necessities. The husband's job is to supervise this in the home. The final element that I think we need to talk about today that fathers really need to embrace and understand is what it means to be the head of the home. Jesus never wavered in his role of being the head of the church. Not once did he waver. To be the head of the family means to be the spiritual compass of the home. Just as Jesus is the spiritual true north of the church, that is the job of the Father. This means teaching and praying and paying close attention to your family's spiritual development. That is a hard job. When decisions need to be made, the husband and the wife need to work together. But ultimately, the father has this burden of making sure that it is in God's will, that it's in God's hands. He's the final stamp of approval. Again, a hard job. The father must do what's honor and pleasing not only to his wife, but to the Lord. Man, let me tell you right now, this world has a growing feminist movement that is trying to make you cower. Okay, It's trying to take and pull the rug out from under you and tell you that this scripture is a lie, it's wrong, it's mean, it's mean-spirited. And I'm telling you right now, it is totally the opposite. And you have to, don't take the bait. Don't take the bait from the media or some politician or or some watered-down gospel preacher. Look, look to God's word. It, it's going to be tough sometimes. And you're going to have questions. And, and it's going to be hard. But you've got to stay focused on what God is commanding you to do. Love your wives. Man, go tell your wives today that you love them. The world is craving, craving a family like this. It needs it. Paul continues to remind us what marriage is in verse 31. For the reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking 
with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. God defined marriage in Genesis. One man and one woman. Now the world's trying to redefine that. The world's been trying to redefine that for thousands of years. Jesus reconfirms it in Matthew. Because Jesus designed marriage. He's God in the flesh. This is his baby, okay? <laughs> marriage is his. All right? And he said, it's not up for debate. It's one man, one woman, and most importantly, these two individuals will become one flesh. That's his desire and his will for marriage. One flesh means like-mindedness, yoked in how you're going to raise your family, yoked in thought, yoked in goals for the future, yoked in worship, yoked financially, yoked in your biblical worldview. And when you work towards the goal of submitting to one another and loving one another, you start to reap the benefits of it. When the husband and wife are one flesh, little can affect one without affecting the other. Paul continues now on to children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Someone said of Billy Graham when he passed away, he must have honored his mother and father because he lived a long time and he preached a long time. In our faith, if our faith in Christ is real and it's growing and we desire to be the church at home, then it will usually prove itself in the relationships within that home. There's going to be evidence. Again, that doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we're always going to make perfect decisions. It doesn't mean our kids are always going to be perfect. I know I got four boys. But if we're working towards that, God's going to reward you. And you're going to be a powerful vessel in the church. I was listening to Dave Ramsey once and. And I don't know if you ever listen to Dave Ramsey. I like him, but sometimes he's a little harsh and a little straightforward and a, a little rough around the edges. And this, this lady called in, and she was all excited because she was debt-free. And, and she said, I have two beautiful and highly successful kids. And I knew Dave Ramsey was going to rip into her. I just heard it coming, and he said, okay, that's good that they're beautiful and that they're highly successful, but do they love the Lord? Do they obey you? Do they honor you? Do they honor their grandparents? Do they honor other adults? Are you? And, and he wasn't picking her apart, but it was a great reminder of what we should really be focused on in the home. Yes, it's great that your kids are successful. Yeah, it's great they're beautiful. God thinks all kids are beautiful. But do they love you? Do they obey you? Do they honor you? Do they love the Lord? Are they learning? There's a difference between obedience and honoring. Obedience means to do what one is told, but honoring means to love and respect. You know, I, I mentioned that my mom passed away, and, 
Um, I'm, in, I'm the executor of her estate. I've never done this before, and it's not easy, but I was sitting with my uncle, who many of you know, and he said, Justin, he said, my only advice is whatever you choose to do, honor your mother. Because she worked hard to leave you and your sister and others a little bit of what she had on this earth. Honor her. So what that reminded me is even if your parents have passed on, you still have a job of honoring them. Not just when they're alive, but when they've gone on to be with the Lord. Verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Paul is, is reminding us that the father and the mother, especially the father, have the role of discipline and teaching their children. And, and I'd like to add something else. I believe it's our job as parents to make sure that our young kids start to see this scripture and embrace it for their lives. Plant that seed now. Be praying for your kid's future husband or wife. Whoever they may be, wherever they are, maybe they're not even born yet, be praying for them. What good is it to say you love people when you don't ever do it? You need to show your kids what that means. I read a study the other day that said kids learn more by what their parents do than what they say. So just going to church is not enough. Saying things is not enough. We must be the church. We must show them by example what it looks like. Finally, Paul wraps this up by giving direction to other people in the home, maybe servants or, and, and what I believe, uh, maybe you at your job when you go to work, maybe you're a leader. It says, slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh without with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not the way of eye service as man-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, bondservants. Think of that word as bondservants. Doing the will of God from the heart with good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with them. He, close, uh, he closes this up. Be the church at work. Be the church within the home. You know, in Paul's time, many families had servants in living quarters. Okay, and, 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 and Paul wanted to make sure that the entire home itself was serving the Lord. Abraham Lincoln once said, whatever you do in life, be the best at it. And I think he got that wrong. I think God got it right when he said, whatever you do, do as as you're doing unto the Lord. Whatever it is you do. When our elders came together a few months ago and wrote this new vision statement, for the church, we wrote a pledge or a promise. And that pledge reads like this. When you become a member at Paradise Valley Christian Church, we will challenge you 
to become involved in a personal walk with Jesus at your highest level of potential. We will strive to help you imagine more for your life in Jesus. So this morning, I'm going to do just that. I'm going to challenge you. I'm challenging myself. This, this sermon, preparing this sermon, I've been talking to Jamie. I said, you know, we can do better. We can do better. We can do more. We can imagine more. So here's my challenge to you. First, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, we need to fix that. We need to fix that. Because everything I just talked about is not going to work without the Holy Spirit's guidance. You need that. You need that salvation. You need God working in your life. You need to join the church before you can be the church. Number two, if you are ready to be the church at home right now, I am encouraging you, pick an accountability partner, someone in this room, and you tell them, you know what, every Tuesday and Thursday, I want you to check on me because I'm going to be intentional about holding my wife's hand or my husband's hand or my kid's hand, and we're going to pray. And I don't know how to pray. I'm not good at it. I get nervous. It's awkward. But I'm going to start. And it might only be a 30-second prayer. I don't know. But I'm going to start. That's my challenge to you. And if you're already doing that, grow it. Imagine more. Number three, I pray... And I'm asking and challenging you that you will start your day off with God. With God. I want you to, op- I want you to wake up a little earlier. I want you to open your day with the, with, with the Word of God. And I want you to pray. And I want you to be alone. Okay? I know everything we just talked about was one flesh, but I do. You need to have some alone time with God. Okay? And then the fourth and final thing. This is probably the most important. Seek help. You can't do this alone. I can't do this alone. Not only do we need the Holy Spirit, but God wants this church body to work together, like what we saw yesterday, coming together for a common purpose, a common vision, a common mission. And that you know what? You, you, may, you, know, you may need to go ch- talk to Charles or Larry or maybe an elder or a deacon or, or, or someone that you know in this church right now who can teach you. You know, just, just be honest. Be transparent. Just say, man, I want what he was talking about, but I don't know how to get there. And you know what? My life, my, my marriage is a disaster. Or you know what? I've already been divorced a few times. Or you know what? My kids, they don't, like, they don't love me. It's never too late. Not with Jesus Christ. It's never too late. Jesus is in the business of making things new again. So, as the worship team comes, I just ask you if you have a decision to make this morning. Maybe your family needs prayer. Maybe your marriage needs prayer. Maybe you're single and you want this kind of home. You want this kind of peace. You want this kind of joy. Now's the time to come forward as we sing, uh, I don't know the hymn of decision, 462. If you have a decision, I encourage you to come.